0: What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast, my name is Kyle Dabra.
1: What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here, other half of the podcast. Kyle, we have reached another beautiful weekend. Well, I mean, by the time we you guys hear it, it'll be Friday. But, you know, we are just coming towards that end of Thursday. Playoff football is right upon us. It, it, it's shaping up to be a pretty good damn weekend.
0: Oh, absolutely. And also, I can start to smell things again. I'm finally putting COVID to rest. And um, it's actually kind of nice to be able to smell things again. Taste thing that's still kind of working itself out, but uh, at least I am able to smell like some foods and like spices and seasonings and stuff once again. So that's definitely nice going into the weekend. But yeah, on top of that, bro, we've got an action packed weekend coming up in the NFL. We got all the wild card games to go through. And then we also have some NBA topics to hit. So you ready to dive into this agenda? Sir, yes, sir. All right. So, like I said, And like Kevin said, we've got a huge NFL slate coming up this weekend. All the wild card games, we will all go over them from the Raiders and the Bengals game to the Patriots and Bills game, the Eagles and the Bucks, 49ers versus Cowboys, Steelers versus Chiefs, and Cardinals, Rams. It's going to be an action-packed weekend. Um, We'll get into all those games individually um, as we start to go into our segments. Um, As far as the NBA topics go, uh, we're going to mostly keep it to uh, two topics. Uh, We're going to talk about the Cam Reddish trade to the New York Knicks. Uh, We'll talk about the impact that that trade will have for the Knicks for the rest of the season. And we'll also kind of go over some injuries to some major uh, players in the NBA, specifically Damian Lillard and Paul George. Uh, Damian Lillard is probably going to be out for the rest of the season uh, after he undergoes abdominal surgery And Paul George is currently dealing with an elbow issue that could potentially sideline him for the rest of the season as well. We'll talk about just with those respective players and the teams that they play on specifically relating to the Portland trailblazers and the Los Angeles Clippers. We'll talk about whether or not that their playoff chances are effectively over with both of those superstars on their respective teams, possibly being out for the rest of the season. So pretty much that's the episode that we have for you guys. Um, Let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into the NFL wildcard games first. And the first one that we're going to go into is going to be the Las Vegas Raiders game and the Cincinnati Bengals matchup. So this is the 4-5 or matchup that we have in the AFC. Um, When you look at the Raiders, uh, they were able to get into the playoffs in the last game of the year when they faced off against the Los Angeles Chargers in probably one of the most action-packed One of the most action-packed games that we've seen throughout the entirety of the season. They were able to get into the playoffs on a game-winning field goal in overtime over the Chargers. Uh, When you look at the Bengals, though, the Bengals are the AFC North Divisional champs. Um, They are the four seed. They are the home team in this matchup. And really, when you look at these teams as a whole, really it's been because both the quarterbacks have been playing phenomenal the last few weeks really joe burrow has really kind of set himself apart from a lot of the younger quarterbacks in the last month or so where there was a stretcher there was a stretch of games where he was damn near putting up 450 500 yards passing consistently and really that's kind of where we're going to go uh for this game in particular so kevin this question to you When you look at the play of Derek Carr and Joe Burrow, which quarterback do you favor in this matchup with the Raiders going up against the Bengals?
1: So let it be noted, this is both of their first playoff appearances. Obviously, Joe was a rookie last year and missed a couple of games with his ACL injury. Derek, however, has been in the league for five years. He led the Raiders to a postseason berth, but he unfortunately broke his leg against the Indianapolis Colts a few short weeks right before they entered the playoffs. So he technically has not actually made a postseason appearance. So that's first on the agenda in terms of what I think is going to be pivotal. So playoff experience is huge here. Um, It's going to be in Cincinnati. It is January. It's going to be 28 degrees. The Raiders are used to playing in California weather and now indoor weather in Vegas. So And as you know, indoor weather is perfection. So this is going to be a challenge for both teams. This is going to be which team is going to want it more because I think that this is going to affect the passing game just because of the inclement weather in terms of temperature and potential wind. I think they're going to have to lean on the running backs here. So it's going to be Joe Mixon versus Josh Jacobs. And, you know, what defense is going to be able to make a stop? Joe Burrow obviously ended the year on an absolute hot note. Uh, annihilating the Ravens both times when they played. Um, The connection between him, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd really took uh, the next step as the season came to an end. But Derek Carr in that offense really, really, really found its stride late in games to kind of seal seal their fate in terms of a playoff berth. He is the clutch quarterback that you want leading your team down the field with two minutes or less. He's the guy you want in the locker room leading a team uh, in a postseason run like they're in right now. So I think this is going to be a really good game. I'm going to actually take the Bengals because, one, they're home, and, two, because I just think the offensive firepower that the Bengals provide is going to be something that I don't believe that the Raiders are going to be able to keep up with. The Raiders play most of their games from behind, or in the fourth quarter, should I say. The Bengals are a team that put points on the board throughout the entirety of the game, and I think if they get ahead by enough, I don't know if uh, if Vegas is going to be able to overcome that, and of course, with the running back situation, with Joe Mixon being um, a top five running back this season in terms of yardage and total yards from scrimmage, I think that they'll be able to pad that lead and drain that clock. And obviously, the uh, the Bengals defense has been slept on this year, and they have found a way to get some takeaways and pressure the quarterback. So I'll take the Bengals for sure.
0: I mean, when I look at the quarterback matchup, to me, it's fairly simple. I have to favor Joe Burrow in this matchup. And that's despite the fact that Derek Carr is the more experienced quarterback in this matchup. It's just that from what I've seen in this year, particularly I got to favor Joe and here's why. So when you look at Joe from his second year performance, I mean, the guy had 34 touchdowns to 14 interceptions. When I look at Derek Carr, Derek Carr had 23 touchdowns to 14 interceptions. So they both feel the same number of interceptions. It's just that Joe had Derek beat by eleven touchdowns, even though that Derek did throw for two hundred more yards than Joe did, but Joe put up putting up forty six hundred yards in his second season, I think, is definitely worthy of a mention, just because I think Joe had a phenomenal end to his season. Really the last month or so, he was absolutely phenomenal. Now, when you look at Derek Carr though, he was a big reason to why they were able to win that last game of the year against the Chargers that gave them that playoff spot, and I thought in that game, I think Derek played phenomenal. It's just that Derek's been inconsistent at times this year, and I think it's really kind of indicative of really the roller coaster ride that Vegas has been on the entire year. I mean, John Gruden gets canned about halfway through the season. You have the whole Henry Rugg situation where he kills somebody while driving under the influence. You had the Damon Arnett situation where he was you know, going on Instagram live and posting guns and threatening people. And despite all of those obstacles that the Raiders faced throughout the season, they were able to overcome them and get a playoff spot. But I don't think it's going to be enough against the Bengals in this one. I think the Bengals are the better team offensively. They've been humming for the last month or so, despite the last game of the year, that was kind of a non sequitur as far as I'm concerned really the rise of Joe Burrow in his second year, I think has been monumental for Cincinnati's success this year. And really the connection that he was able to establish with Jamar Chase building off of the relationship that they had from LSU. I think it's been a wonderful pairing through the first year of the chemistry that they've been able to build. Also Joe building off of the uh, chemistry that he had from T Higgins last year, Tyler Boyd as well. I think really just that unit, as a whole it's phenomenal. And I think it's going to improve over time. And I think this is definitely going to be a good test for the Bengals as really, this is kind of their first playoff test with Joe at the helm. And really a lot of these younger guys, this is really kind of a chance for them to show what a lot of these NFL playoff teams, um, what they can show to those, you know, those top tier playoff teams moving forward. You know, as far as the game's concerned, um, I've got the Bengals winning this one. I'm going to say it's going to be a relatively closer game that I think some people are expecting. I think it is going to be a one possession game when it's all said and done, but I'm going to go with Cincinnati. I'm going to go with the young kid and Joe Burrow in this one. I think, I think Joe's going to have a relatively good day, you know, probably 250, 300 yards passing two or three touchdowns. And I think he's going to limit his turnovers. I think they beat Vegas by this one, by the score of, I'm going to say like 27 to 20. Um, it's going to be a close game. It's going to be a good game in my opinion, but the Bengals get, are going to come out on top in my opinion.
1: Yeah, obviously with both of them being it being their first playoff game, we're obviously kind of spitballing in the dark. We have no track history to go off of. So we will see if the playoff nerve gets to either of them. And God willing, our predictions are right. Because you guys know, if you follow the podcast, yeah, our predictions are pretty ass. So.
0: Yeah, I mean, we, we, we do our best to... to try to predict these games as best as we can. And a lot of times like Kevin and I are pretty, we're pretty confident in our picks when we make them. It's just whether they actually turn out to be that way is entirely different for some odd reason, but bro, that's why they play the game. So um, I mean, we both picked the Bengals on this one and uh, knowing our history, pencil in the Raiders to win that game. (laughs) <laughs> just kind of how I see it, but, you know, we'll see how it goes, but it should be a fun matchup between both the uh, the Raiders and the Bengals. I think it's probably one of the more slept on playoff performances uh, that we're going to see um, this upcoming weekend. But uh, with that said, we're going to transition into the next playoff game that we have on the slate, and that is going to be the New England Patriots going up against the Buffalo Bills. So the Patriots are back in the playoffs once again. After they had a subpar year last year with Cam Newton at the helm, uh, Mac Jones and Bill Belichick were able to lead the team back into playoff positioning with a wild card spot. And they will be going up against the Buffalo Bills, who are returning to the to the playoffs once again. They made it all the way to the AFC Championship game last year, where they unfortunately lost to the Kansas City Chiefs one game before the Super Bowl. Now, this is going to be a battle in Buffalo and there's really kind of no other way to say it. It is going to be really cold in this matchup where the projected temperature around kickoff time is going to be around four to five degrees. So to say that it's frigid is kind of an understatement going into this game. So weather will definitely have an impact in this game. And really, when you look at this game on paper, you really kind of have to focus on both defenses, both defenses in regards to the Patriots and the bills. They are top five defenses. Um, In most respective categories, really, the Bills have been the better defense the entire year. But the Patriots defense has been just as good, if not better, at certain times throughout the season as well. So both defenses are going to be looking to be making some plays in this game. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, with the defensive battle that is going to be expected with the Patriots going up against the Bills, which defense do you have prevailing in this matchup?
1: To be completely honest with you, I hate this
0: pick. I think that the Patriots
1: prevail. Here's why. This is going to be their third matchup. And by they, I mean, of course, the Bills and the Patriots. The first one, the Patriots absolutely ran through the Buffalo Bills' throat. Not, not down. They ran through. Like, it came out of their esophagus and right out their ass. Um, the next matchup was a little bit different. Buffalo seemed to come prepared. They were a little bit more well-equipped. They did what they needed to do, and of course, that's the dreaded game. I didn't play Josh Allen because I thought Belichick would stop him, but, you know, that's what you get for doubting Josh Allen. Um, And Buffalo prevailed, in which they split the season series. Now, this is going to be a different atmosphere. This is going to be something that Mac Jones has to get comfortable with. This is going to be in a game like this where you have to leverage running the football. I think that Mac Jones is going to find a way to – Keep Josh Allen, or excuse me, keep, well, yeah, keep Josh Allen in that offense off the field. I think that Damian Harris and the backfield that they have out there, in New England, are going to keep the ball away from the offense. And I genuinely think that New England's defense, which is their strongest suit here, is going to be able to withstand and hold Josh and that offense. To me, Buffalo is a little bit questionable. They ended the year in a four-game win streak. Yes, they won the division. Yes, but New England was right behind them, literally by a game. I think that there were a couple of games where New England let games get away from them. Obviously, the Colts game in particular, in which they kind of had that full resurgence and comeback. Jonathan Taylor breaks away, and we all know the story down there. But the playoffs are a different entity. I know that the experience coaching-wise definitely sides with the Patriots. I think Bill will have that team ready to go. And then, of course, Josh Allen and the Bills are familiar with the postseason because of the run that they had last year. Um, again, the only reason I'm giving them the edge and by them, I mean the Patriots, is because I think that Bill is going to have his team ready to go. And I think that the running game for the Patriots is that much more, uh, significant than the bills. Both defenses are top five. Like Kyle said, it's going to be about who turns the ball over the least. And, you know, God willing, I get this pick right, and I think the Patriots are going to keep the ball away from the the Bills. They're going to limit Mac Jones' throws. They're really going to find a way to just hunker down on that run game like they did the first time. And with it being four degrees, it's going to be a tough game for both teams, even though they're used to playing in frigid temperatures. So I'm going to go with the upset here. I'm going to take the New England Patriots, and I'm going to say that Buffalo folds and their kind of up-and-down season comes
0: to an end. This is a tricky one for me because pretty much my pick is based on the weather because with it being four degrees, potentially at kickoff time, I'm actually going to favor new England in this one. Now had the temperature been in like the mid twenties or low thirties going into this game, I'd probably favor Buffalo just because when they went to new England and it was, Favorable as far as the weather was concerned. Buffalo marched effectively up and down the field against New England's defense throughout the entirety of that matchup in New England. But with the temperature being so low, or in literally the single digits and probably the wind chills and probably the negatives, I think it's going to have a negative impact more profoundly on the Bills than it will the Patriots. Because we've seen this before. When the Patriots played the Bills in Buffalo the first time this year, Buffalo's offense was definitely hindered by the weather conditions at play in that matchup. I mean, in that game in particular, the wind was a factor. I believe it was kind of chilly that game, but the wind was really kind of the predominant factor in the weather conditions at that game. And I think the temperature in this one is going to be the pivotal factor because I don't think that the Bills are going to be able to effectively pass the ball like they did in the second matchup against New England, where the weather was kind of in their favor. And that's why I'm kind of favored New England's defense over the Bills defense in this one, because I think the Patriots defense is going to be able to stymie that Bills offense. Like you mentioned, Kevin, and I think they're going to be able to get some sort of pass rush on Josh Allen. Now, Matthew Judon has had a pretty solid season in his first season with New England. And I do think that he's going to make his presence known by getting to Josh Allen a few times in that game. And I think they're going to be able to force him into some uncomfortable throws. And I think new England can get some turnovers potentially if they're able to do that consistently. And when I look at Buffalo's defense, Buffalo's defense definitely has, it's really one of the most well-rounded units from top to bottom in the league. But this team has been, shown to have some weaknesses in the run game and really i think new england's going to run the ball pretty effectively against buffalo's defense i don't know if they're going to run the ball 45 times like they did in the first matchup but i could see new england running the ball possibly 25 to 30 times splitting carries between damian harris and Ramondre stevenson i think mac jones may have a, a more pivotal uh impact or a sizable impact excuse me than he did in the first game where the Patriots and the Bills played. But I do think it's going to be an emphasis on team defense and running the football effectively just because the weather is going to be that big of a factor going into this game. I think it's going to be a relatively close game from beginning to end. I think New England wins this one by like three or four points. I'm going to be honest with you. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I'd be surprised if any team really cracks over 25 points. So I'm going to say New England wins this one by the score of like 20-17. Twenty to seventeen. I think it's going to be that close of a game, but I think the weather's going to play a huge factor. But I think New England's defense is going to prevail when it's all said and done.
1: Yeah, I know you're uh, you're probably licking your fingers, saying that uh, I picked your boys to win. So you know, take it with a grain of salt. It is what it is.
0: Yeah, with with this one though, it really is the weather. It's very rare that we really, I really kind of base my analysis off of the weather. But with the weather being so cold in that game, I don't think really the offenses on either team are going to be that successful through the air. And the bills offense is primarily structured around the success of Josh Allen and his arm. And when and his legs, it, quite frankly, and, 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 and when you, and when you take that option away from him, or if you hinder it significantly because of the weather, I think Buffalo's going to have a difficult time moving the football because, Kevin, we both know they do not run the football in any way, shape, or form with Devin Singletary or Zach Moss on a consistent basis. If anything, it's like you said, Josh Allen primarily gets most of the carries on that offense. So, I don't really see Buffalo making an adjustment to that. I think they're going to live and die with the pass. And you just kind of live with the results at that point. But I think the Patriots are going to be ready for this game. I think they saw the mistakes that they made in the second matchup. I think they're going to make adjustments to it. And when you got Bill Belichick as your coach, there's no other coach I'd rather have at my disposal than him in these playoff situations. Now granted, you know, the, the bills made it all the way to the AFC championship game last year. You know that, and that's definitely worthy of mention, but Sean McDermott versus Bill Belichick, who are you going to take? I'm probably going to side with Bill Belichick on that one. Not to say that Sean McDermott isn't a good coach. It's just I think when it comes to the level of preparation that Bill is going to instill in those Patriot players, I think it's going to be far more significant. But, you know, we'll see what happens on Saturday night because it's really kind of anybody's game as far as I'm concerned. This is really kind of a toss-up game. I know the betters are really siding with Buffalo in this one. But I think the weather's going to play a much bigger factor than I think people are originally expecting. So, But it's going to be a good game. Definitely going to be one that I'm going to be definitely paying attention to, for sure. So, with that said, we are going to transition into our third game of the NFL wildcard weekend. And that is going to be the Eagles and the Buccaneers. Uh, The Eagles were able to get in to the playoffs last week after claiming two weeks ago, excuse me, two weeks ago, um, after claiming a wild card spot, they claimed the seven spot. And when you look at the Buccaneers, uh, the Buccaneers were able to, to clinch the two spot last week after the Rams lost to the 49ers in the last game of the year, which is quite significant for playoff seeding in regards to Tampa's, um, playoffs status. But really when we, when we look at this matchup, um, you got the the Buccaneers. They're going possibly back-to-back Super Bowls. And, you know, they're starting from scratch. They're starting at home, going up against the Eagles. And Tom Brady's going to be leading the way for the Buccaneers to possibly repeat as Super Bowl champions. So, Kevin, to kick the question to you, do you think that Tom can lead the Buccaneers to -to back-to-back Super Bowls despite all of the injuries that Tampa has faced this season?
1: So in regards to this game, I think that this is going to be a clear-cut favorite. I think Tampa Bay Buccaneers win this game handedly. Now, we know the journey that they had to go through last year being in the wild card and having to play every game away obviously favoring all of these NFC teams in which outside, then again, the majority of these teams play in domes, Dallas, Arizona, and LA all play inside. So I was going to say with weather conditions, um, this is where Tampa would want to be the one seed because, you know, the the Super Bowl, or excuse me, the NFC has to go through Green Bay. But getting back on track, Tampa being at home for the majority of their games, unless they play Green Bay in the final of the NFC championship, is going to bode well for Tom. Tom's used to playing in the frigid cold because he played in New England for 20 years. I think that Tampa is going to make a run. I think that Tampa actually falls short of an actual Super Bowl appearance, but that's neither here nor there. We're focused on the NFC wildcard matchup. The Bucs are going to win this game to me, and this is why. The Eagles' offense relies upon running the football effectively. They led the league in rushing yards per game with over 160 yards. Tampa's defensive prowess, their biggest strength on defense, is stopping the run. And they've proven it every single week, that they just know how to stop the run. Their passing defense might not be the greatest thing in the world. And God knows that their pass rush can get to the quarterback as well. But there's one thing that the Eagles cannot do, and that is make Jalen Hurts drop back and throw 30-plus times. We all know that he doesn't make the greatest decision, and his field vision is not the greatest either. Now, you can chalk that up to him. Finally, now just playing a full season's worth, you can say that the Eagles' offensive weapons outside of Devontae Smith and um, Dallas Goddard are questionable, but as a quarterback in the NFL, there are just some throws that you have to make, and through the season, you can see when it is on Jalen's shoulders to make good throws because the run game was limited at the time he was not able to do so. So I think even despite the injuries to Tampa's offense and even some players on defense, I think that their road to repeating does begin with a victory at home. And I think that it's going to be possibly a double-digit win. Now, this is my girlfriend's team. This is my girlfriend's family's team. We've been together three years. I pray that they don't chop my throat when they see this or you know, when they hear this. But let's be honest. The Eagles' defense is up and down all season as well. Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time, throwing for over 5,000 yards at the age of 44. I don't really see the Eagles finding a way to get this victory, especially if Tampa is able to limit that run game.
0: Well, I mean, I guess it's probably a good thing that you guys don't have a place yet, because if she were to see this, more than likely you'd be sleeping on the couch whenever she'd see that. So, Or with maybe, Sabo. Maybe, maybe. It may kind of work out in your favor in that regard. But as Maybe. far as the game is concerned, yeah, I mean Tampa should win this game fairly convincingly. Um, but as far as the question goes, can Tom lead the Bucks back to back to back Super Bowls despite all the injuries that Tampa's sustained this year? I'm gonna say probably not. Because when I look at Tampa last year, even though that I thought Tampa's road to the Super Bowl last year, was more difficult than what this one could potentially be. At least Tampa, from a health perspective, they were fine. Everybody was relatively healthy throughout that entire playoff run. And really, that's kind of the biggest thing that you have to kind of keep in mind with a lot of these teams that are trying to make a Super Bowl run. Really, one of the best features that a team could be as far as being a possible Super Bowl team is whether or not that they were healthy throughout that playoff run. And in Tampa's case last year, they were primarily healthy. That's what gave them these big road wins last year in Washington, uh, New Orleans, and then in Green Bay in the NFC Championship game. And even in the Super Bowl as well, when they had the home game in Tampa. Now going into this season, or going into this postseason, excuse me, that is not necessarily the case. Tampa has been riddled with injuries throughout the entire year. And not just just like one or two players. I'm talking about multiple players, and they've been out for extended periods of time as well. I mean, we've seen Carlton Davis out a couple months. We've seen Antoine Winfield Jr. miss a boatload of games. You got Chris Godwin is out for the year with the torn ACL. Antonio Brown was hurt with an ankle injury, two to three months out of the season. And then he uh, departed from the Tampa uh, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <laughs> After, departed. <laughs> yeah, after that whole Jets debacle. So, and that's only just a couple of names that I've been throwing off the top of my head here. There have been a lot of Nixon bruises, uh, Nixon dings that Tampa has faced, and even despite that, to their credit, they finished thirteen and four, and, and as the number two seed in the NFC, that's definitely worthy of respect. It's just, I don't put a lot of faith in Tom being able to overcome all of these injuries that Tampa has faced throughout the entire year. I think at a certain point, you just have to kind of look at the roster and say, does Tampa have enough weapons on the offensive side of the ball to get all the way back to the Super Bowl and potentially win it? I don't really see it happening. I think that they could possibly make the NFC Championship game, but getting to another Super Bowl, I think is out of the cards for them, just because I think that there are some other teams in the NFC that are more well-equipped to get to a Super Bowl. Really, the one team I'm kind of thinking of uh, off the top of my head is probably the Green Bay Packers. And it's not despite the fact that they're the number one seed in the NFC. It's just that, by and large, they are a healthier team than Tampa currently is. And I think that's going to play a huge factor moving forward. Now, I do think that Tampa has a good shot of staying competitive throughout the entire run that they have in the playoffs. It's just that I don't think Tom is going to be able to single-handedly carry this offense to another Super Bowl run this year. I just don't see it. I could see p- possibly them making the NFC Championship game, but I think outside of that, I, I don't think a Super Bowl run is in the cards for Tampa this year. I, I I hate to kind of put it in that perspective if you're a Tampa fan, but I just think when you look at the amount of injuries that they've had, you you got to get to a certain point saying, are we good enough? And I think... It, had those guys that had not been hurt I think that definitely the Tampa could definitely have another Super Bowl run but with them not in the lineup due to injury that makes it really difficult to be able to do and I think they're going to fall short of another Super Bowl run as far as I'm concerned
1: to be in the position that they're in in and of itself is a is an incredible feat like you've mentioned countless injuries they've overcome most of it now the the playoffs is kind of where you got to be able to shake all of it off and play through it So we will see what happens, but again, not necessarily an overwhelming prediction on our side in terms of the matchup against the Eagles, no disrespect. um, But it just, it's one of those matchups where you're kind of like, if Tampa were to lose this game, that would be a massive shock. That would be one of the, of the year. Uh, So I will go out on a limb and say that anything is possible just for the sake of it being, you know, my girls team and any given Sunday is a true narrative, but the odds are stacked very well against them. If you're a betting man and you bet Philly, you're probably going to make a shit of money if that happens.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I I would be absolutely shocked if the Eagles were to somehow win that game on the road in Tampa. Now, I will say that Tom actually has had some issues against some NFC East teams in the playoffs in the past, primarily in the Super Bowl. Just, you know, the, the, the three losses are against all NFC East teams in the Super Bowl. Um I don't think that this is going to be one of those games where that's that's the case. Just because Philly they're good in spurts, but nothing long term as far as like sustained success. I mean, no. they get, they got the 7th seed for a reason in the NFC wild card spot. I mean, they were they were good enough to get in, but just barely. And you look at Tampa, despite all the injuries that they've had as a unit, I still got to favor Tampa. I mean, Tom yeah. over Jalen Hurts is an easy one for me. And the Eagles do like to run that read option with Jalen Hurts. That's kind of their bread and butter on the offensive side of the ball. And with Tampa's run run defense, I mean, that is going to be really tough for Philly to be able to, to beat. The only way that Philly remotely wins this game, or somehow wins this game is um two things they're able to pass the ball effectively against Tampa's defense and they're able to force turnovers off of Tom not easy
1: no you know, both of those easy.
0: feats not easy so if they're able to do that then they got a good shot of possibly getting an upset but i think it's highly unlikely and god forbid this is one of our picks that we get we get wrong i mean really yeah. like this is kind of one of those matchups like where it looks so easy on paper going into the But games.
1: that's it but like the Colts and Jags it's it legit it's one of those when it comes to it who's ready more who wants it more and we're going to see what happens because we still got quite a bit of games we can kind of go on that tangent of what could happen and playing the what if game will be here all night so we do have some other games to get kind of get to
0: Yep and the next one being is going to be the San Francisco 49ers going up against the Dallas Cowboys now, this is a game that, that Kevin and I were discussing before we started recording, and we really kind of highlighted this one as really one of the top matchups that we're going to see this weekend in the NFL. When you look at the 49ers, they had a great Week 18 performance against the Rams in an overtime thriller to get into the playoffs in the last game of the year. And then when you look at the Cowboys, the Cowboys have been one of the best teams in the NFL throughout the entirety of the uh, throughout the entirety of the year. Uh, They are the NFC East champs. They won by a pretty substantial margin uh, in that division. And they've been pretty much the main force in that division throughout the entirety of the year. But we are going to take an angle on Dallas specifically. When we look at the Dallas Cowboys, they have had three wins as a team in the last 25 years in the playoffs. Not necessarily the best stat that you want going into this playoff matchup against the 49ers. Now, granted, Dallas did have a pretty solid year this year. So can they transition that over into the playoffs? We'll see. But Kevin, I'm going to pose the question to you. Do you think the history is going to repeat itself for the Cowboys in the playoffs once again as far as their ineptitude goes?
1: Uh, Quite frankly, yes, I do. Um, No shade to any Dallas fan, but they are just historically known for choking. They just don't play very well in the postseason. They don't play well in December. Um, And it is what it is. Sadly, they haven't won that many games for a reason. Now, whether or not that's coaching or lack of personnel or whatever the case may be, the reason I believe that they're going to lose this game is because I truly and honestly think that San Francisco has made strides this half of the year, this quarter of the year, however you want to break it down. In terms of ending the season on a very high note, they beat the Rams twice, their divisional rival, they found a way to get into the playoffs, their defense is playing efficiently, and they're running the ball effectively despite having two or three starting backs falling due to injury. and they're playing with Elijah Mitchell, who is a, I believe, rookie or second year player out of like Lafayette University or Lafayette A& M, whatever the hell his school is, and they are finding ways to win games. Debo Samuel is an X factor. George Kittle is one of the best tight ends in football. Jimmy Garoppolo is finding a way to lead his team down the field and score and win in the fourth quarter. I mean, you name it, they have it. They have the pass rush with Nick Bosa. They have a solid secondary. They have a top five linebacker in Fred Warner. You really have skilled position players at every position for San Francisco. There is a big reason why people are saying that San Francisco is going to win this game despite... Dallas's postseason history over the last 25 years. The fact that that's a thing, first of all, is ridiculous. They've literally won three total games since basically I've been alive, which is absolutely asinine in and of itself. So the other reason why is because Dallas ended the year very rocky to me. And I know that most of their games, they won five out of their last six. But let's look at the teams they beat realistically. A Taysom Hill-led Saints. To me, they were never a good team all year long. The, the Redskins, excuse me, the football team, or whatever the hell their name's going to be in the next couple of weeks. The Giants, the football team, they lose to the Cardinals of another playoff team, and then they beat the Eagles' fourth string. By a convincing margin, yes, but the Eagles didn't start any starters, and whatever starters did play came out within the first quarter. So once again, Did they really do anything meaningful? They lost to the Chiefs. They lost to the Raiders. Like, I can't really go out there and say that they're a definitive favorite. I can't go out there and say that they are going to go and and dominate this San Francisco 49ers team. Because when you look at the Niners – They ended the season on a relatively good note as well. They lost to the Seahawks by seven points in a very close game. They beat the Bengals. They go out and they beat uh, the Falcons, a bad football team. I'm just, you know, just getting started. They lose to the Titans by three points. They beat a bad football team in the Texans. And then they beat the Rams in an overtime thriller. So, I mean, who played more talent recently? Who played better teams in that schedule? I'm leaning towards the 49ers. I think that they have all the confidence in the world. I think Kyle Shanahan has everything going for him and his coaching staff. And I think that they're poised to upset the Cowboys because they're the Cowboys. That's the real only way that I can predict it. I'm not going to go out there and say that the 49ers are going to be that wild card team to go to the Super Bowl like the Giants were a few years back, or should I say a while back, because I'm that old. But I do think that they find a way to go out there and be a decent football team in the Cowboys, and let's be honest, Ezekiel Elliott and Amari, and Amari Cooper are not what they used to be. Zeke barely scraped 1,000 yards. Amari Cooper didn't eclipse 1,000 yards. Granted, they had two defensive stars in terms of performances with Micah Parsons being the rookie sensation. And then Trayvon Diggs leading the NFL in interceptions. But he also had over 1,000 yards let up against opposing receivers, which is an NFL league high. So they're good pieces to them. There are a lot of bad pieces to them as well. Their record indicates a whole different narrative because they play in the worst division in football. So I'm not going to sit here and say that the Cowboys are a blatant favorite or that they're going to win this game by a lot. I genuinely think the 49ers are going to go out there and kick their ass. That might be a seven to 10 point victory in my opinion.
0: Yeah. This is kind of a tricky one for me because when I look at the matchup on paper, I'm kind of interested in the whole 49ers angle just because of how they finished the season. But I think for this week, I don't think that the Cowboys are going to fall flat on their face and replicate their ineptitude in the playoffs. Like they've done the last 25 years or so. And here's why. When I look at the Cowboys, the one thing that's kind of stood out to me about the Cowboys this year is offensively, they've been a pretty healthy unit across the board. Now there's been a couple games here and there where some of the linemen are out due to injury and that they could definitely have a detrimental impact on the offense. But when I look at the way that Dallas has responded based off of last year, I mean, last year was a little bit different. I think this team has played pretty well for the majority of the year. I mean, They won the NFC East by a substantial margin for a reason. That might just be because of the fact that every other team, despite the Eagles and the Cowboys, were basically a dumpster fire this year. That might go a little bit to why the Cowboys had success this year. But, I mean, offensively, I thought Dak was great this year. I thought the combination that Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard were able to establish throughout the the majority of the year, I think it boded well for the Cowboys as an offensive unit. And then to go along with, I mean, Amari Cooper and C.D. Lamb, really I think C.D. Lamb is really the X factor for their wideouts goes because Amari Cooper, I mean, his route running is so crisp. It's so well-defined as a receiver. But really C.D. is that guy that I'm kind of looking at as really kind of like that explosive player in that offense for Dallas outside of Dak. And I think it's definitely going to play – a huge factor going up against the 49ers. And and look, the 49ers, they're a team that's coming into this game with a lot of confidence and a lot of swagger behind their back. After they got that huge road win against the Rams last week, where to be quite honest with you, granted, I know Kevin and I, we picked the 49ers to win that game, but that was a game that, you know, the Rams had a lot to play for. And despite the fact that the Rams did a lot to try to, get that game for them. Uh, the 49ers were able to snatch it at the end of the game in overtime. And I will say that the 49ers, I have a little bit more respect for the 49ers going into this game that I originally had, because I didn't think that the 49ers just a couple months ago, were even going to make the playoffs because they were dealing with injuries like they were last year once again, but really the, the play of Jimmy G has been one of note. I think the defense has stepped up tremendously the last couple weeks. And I mean, looking at it on paper, I would say defensively, both teams are, are pretty even. You could even give a slight edge to the 49ers over the Cowboys just because the Cowboys, they do have a tendency to give up yards and do have a tendency to give up points as well. But I think that Dallas, they have a good squad going into this playoff run. And I do think, that this week they will be ready to go. And I do think that they will be able to get a win at home over the 49ers. I think it's going to be a pretty close game. I got to give San Francisco some credit for being able to make the playoffs in the fashion that they did. I have to also account for the swagger and confidence that they're going to come into this game against Dallas. And I think it's going to play a huge factor uh, as far as the result goes. I do have Dallas winning this game, but I think it's going to be a three-point game. I think it's going to be a really close game from beginning to end, but I think Dallas went in on a, on a late game winning field goal. And I think they win this one by the score of, I'm going to say like 30 to 27. I think this is going to be a high scoring game, but I think Dallas comes out on top in the end of it.
1: It's definitely the game of the week for me. I know it's one of our two games of the week. You know, we're going to get into the second one in just a few segments, but overall, this is going to be a good one. This is a game I don't want to leave my seat for, for sure.
0: This honestly, bro, it's a toss-up. And and to me, I could have easily just as picked the 49ers for that game compared to the Cowboys. It it really kind of is a toss-up. Really, the 49ers can win this one by three points, in my opinion, and the Cowboys can win it. But I'm gonna go with the Cowboys just because I I It gives us a fifty fifty chance. (laughs) I don't think that they're gonna collapse at the beginning of the playoff run. But if they did, I'd find it absolutely hysterical
1: just because hey, I'm like Cowboys I'm fans are like net fans bro they win like three games at the beginning of the year and it's like yo we're gonna we're going, to,
0: we're going to the Super Bowl it's uh, just it's like it's so terrible bro I, I think if if they collapse it won't be this week if they do oh I dude I, there's coming, no in hot, that, coming in hot coming the, in hot there's Sunday nobody that's night, gonna be excited man. for for the Monday episode more than me cause I get to coming basically in
1: talk, hot, talk that talk
0: against Dallas so coming in hot yeah, that'll definitely be a fun game. Um, I think it's definitely one of the, the the better, if not the best matchups of the week. Um, and I'm definitely looking forward to that. I, I know you are as well. But um, with that said, we're going to keep chugging right along and we're going to kick it back over to the AFC. And we're going to focus on the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Kansas City Chiefs matchup going into this weekend. So really to kind of give you guys an update on where, teams stand going into this game. Uh, the Steelers were able to find kind of like a damn near improbable route to get into the playoffs because really just two or three weeks ago it looked like their playoff hopes were dashed, especially after they got absolutely just destroyed by the Kansas City Chiefs a couple of weeks ago where they lost that game 36 to 10 on the road. So they will be looking for a little bit of redemption in this matchup as they travel back to KC. For this game, now the Chiefs, the Chiefs have been once again one of the best teams in the AFC. Um, I guess I, I'm going to pat myself a little bit on the back here because I did say that they would finish like the season twelve and five when it didn't look that good. Like they started three and four, and I was two and four. That they, I thought was, I thought it was three and four, but that's no, bro, here. they were like two games under five hundred. Uh, uh, they uh, lost like three in a row. I mean. But they had one hell of a turnaround. And to finish out as the number two seed uh in the AFC, it is definitely worthy of some respect, in my opinion, in that regard. Uh, Patrick Mahomes has been playing phenomenal once again, even despite the fact that there have been times that this Kansas City offense has struggled, uh, primarily through the middle of the season when they were just not clicking whatsoever. But really they were able to ramp it up towards the end of the year, and they definitely have another Super Bowl appearance in their minds going into this playoff run, but we're going to focus on big Ben. This could potentially be his last game. If the Steelers were to lose this one on the road against the chiefs, obviously, you know, we'll see what happens when the game is played out this weekend, but Kevin to kick this one to you. Do you think that this could potentially be Ben Roethlisberger's last game as an NFL player this weekend?
1: Without a doubt. Much respect to Ben, obviously, being one of the two quarterbacks in the 2004 draft to win a Super Bowl, and then at that, him and Eli both won two. So, big kudos to what he's done in the NFL and the impact he's had to the city of Pittsburgh. So, I mean, like, congratulations to a great career. Not to sound like I'm writing an obituary or anything, but there is absolutely 0% that the Pittsburgh Steelers win this game. The Chiefs are the Chiefs. Pat Mahomes is Pat Mahomes. I know that T.J. Watt is on the opposing side and will be pressuring Pat Mahomes all game but I genuinely believe that Patrick Mahomes and that offense is just too much to overcome that ineptitude of offense that the Pittsburgh Steelers have. I mean, one week Ben goes for 300 yards and three touchdowns. The next week, it looks like Ben Roethlisberger can't walk in a straight line above the speed limit of of two miles per hour. So we will see what happens, but I'm predicting that the Kansas City Chiefs win this game very handedly. I would probably say about 10 to 14 points. Uh, for sure, just because, I mean, Pittsburgh was unable to stop them the last time. This one is an arrowhead. I I don't recall if their first appearance was an arrowhead, was it, as well? It was. It was. So I think history will repeat itself. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is playing great. Damian Williams is playing great. When Edwards was out, I think that the wide receiver core or combination, Tyree Hill and Travis Kelsey, will continue to dominate like it has been for the last couple of seasons. And, uh, you know, the Chiefs defense, let's not forget, is still – An incredible defense in and of itself. I know that they fell short to the Bengals just a few weeks ago, but that was an incredible game that the Bengals came back from and Joe Burrow actually dominated. But Ben Roethlisberger and Joe Burrow, the offense of Pittsburgh, is not the offense of Cincinnati. Although they are AFC North neighbors, I just don't think that they're going to have that repeat success. But with that being said, uh, I will point out that Ben made a funny-ass statement in his, uh, I guess, one of his press conferences this week or his interviews with the media where he basically said in a nutshell, he goes, we're not even supposed to be here. He goes, out of 14 teams, what are we, probably ranked the 14th team in the postseason? He goes, we're not projected to win this game. He goes, I don't even think we're going to win this game. He goes, but we're going to go out there. We're going to have fun. Now, again, I'm paraphrasing. He didn't obviously state in that manner and probably didn't use those words. But for the most part, if you look it up, it is a hysterical interview with a reporter that he has probably right, right outside of practice. Kyle and I were actually laughing about it earlier that basically Ben has no confidence Or has this feeling that this is going to be a victory in and of itself. So I predict Kansas City wins in a handed fashion. And I believe that uh, this is unfortunately the end to the Ben Roethlisberger era in Pittsburgh.
0: It's really kind of tough to follow that, Kev. I mean, I I think you laid it out pretty well as far as I'm concerned. But no, I'm in full agreement with you on this one. I mean, look, Ben Roethlisberger has had a storied NFL career. I mean, the guy has two Super Bowl titles underneath his belt. And he's been really one of the last quarterbacks that's been able to just take a really a, a hellacious amount of hits and be able to still function at a high level in his job. But really, the last couple of years, you've really seen Big Ben's uh, just overall skill set just start to diminish to a certain extent where just Pittsburgh as an offense... They just don't have the same potency that they had a couple of years back when they had players like Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, and then even farther back with like guys like Mike Wallace and Emmanuel Sanders um, in the early 2010s. But, you know, when I look at Big Ben, I mean, the guys had a Hall of Fame career, you know, and going up against the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, they do have like, I guess, like a small shot to win this game. I don't really see them being competitive against Kansas city, just because I think Kansas city is head and shoulders above Pittsburgh in pretty much every regard. You can maybe say the defenses are somewhat similar just because Pittsburgh's defense has really been the one part of the team that has held its end up in the, it's held its end up of the bargain to a certain extent for most of the year. um, While the offense has really kind of struggled in multiple spurts throughout the entire season and a large part, is just because Ben is just not the same anymore. But, you know, when I see this game being played out this weekend, I do think the Chiefs win in a pretty significant fashion. I don't know if it's going to be by four possessions like it was in the first matchup just a couple weeks ago, but I do think that the Chiefs win this one relatively comfortably. I could see the Chiefs winning this one by two touchdowns, and not to be disrespectful, but I do think that they essentially carry Big Ben off into the sunset, as far as his career goes, when the Chiefs hand the Steelers an an L uh, in this weekend matchup.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, genuinely, it is what it is. Time is moving. Obviously, you know, it it it, it, it it's undefeated except for Tom Brady because it just he, it, it genuinely looks like he's the only one that is victorious against this fucking clock.
0: Yeah, I mean, as far as uh, Father Time goes, yeah, I mean. Really, Tom's the only one that's mastered it. He's the only one that says I'm still going, despite whatever my age is. I mean, the guy might be fifty and still be playing. I maybe I, I, I don't know. I, I I think for NFL fans' sanity, I I don't think that they want to see that happen. But but really, when you when you look at Big Ben, I mean, the guy's had a great NFL career, but it's just the last couple of years, Kev, it has been it's been rough, it, man. It's been a, it's been an eyesore to watch at times. Now, granted, they started the season off eleven and zero last year, but I think everybody really remembers just how it ended and really how their their season just crashed and burned in the manner that it did. And I I don't know if it's going to crash and burn like it did last year going into this matchup against the Chiefs, but Bro, it's the Chiefs. (laughs) That is not the team you want to be going up against in your first playoff uh, appearance this year. That is just not not a good situation to go into whatsoever. I think had it been the bills or maybe even the Bengals or the Raiders, I think maybe that would have been a better, uh, matchup for them. But with the chiefs, there's not a lot of hope, bro. And I, I hate to be the pessimist in this regard with Pittsburgh, but I just don't see it with them. I'm not at all. I'm pretty comfortable with this pick, bro. I, I don't think this is going to be one of those games we'd look back. It's like, yeah, well, well no, this is a game we screwed up again. No, Definitely I, I, not. I, but again,
1: I, I, any given Sunday, we know this league, it just happens, bro. It takes one off series to turn it around. It takes one offensive drive to spark a motivational like turnaround Hey, I'm not gonna say 100. percent There's no shot. Like I said with the Bucks, it could happen. I would probably say 99.8. percent I would say the Chiefs win this game. It's the NFL playoffs, bro. We've seen crazy shit happen before.
0: Yeah, but this one, nah. I think you could write this one in pen right now. I think the Chiefs get this one relatively easily. Don't forget
1: I'm, our unsuccessful, you know, picks. So careful. You might write it in stone and then it ends up breaking.
0: I, I think really the only thing that's going to be breaking is probably Big Ben's spirit when Casey beats them by three touchdowns. <laughs> it's really Shit. the only, uh, and, uh, Sorry, Ben. I, th- that was that was uncalled for. My
1: and Kyle came with the Mortal Kombat finish. Uh,
0: no, but I mean, it, it, if it does come to an end for Big Ben um, after this game, um, I know Kevin and I will we'll, we'll probably have like our own segment when it comes to Ben's Uh, NFL career coming to an end. But really, I mean, from beginning to end, um, what Ben has been able to establish uh, as far as his career goes and what he's been able to put out on the field for Pittsburgh has been nothing short of phenomenal. I mean, you take away Tom Brady or Peyton Manning, there's a very good chance that Big Ben could have possibly three or four Super Bowls just because he was that good. It's just that the competition that he was going against throughout most of his career was just a little bit better than he was. But really really a a hall of fame career as far as I'm concerned when it comes to big Ben, I think that goes without saying, but with that said, we are going to head to our last NFL wild card matchup of the weekend. And that is going to be the Arizona Cardinals going up against the Los Angeles Rams. We have a NFC West battle between these two teams. Once again, this will be the rubber match for both teams. Um, this is really kind of one of those games where Kevin and I have looked at this game and we've pretty much marked it as either like the number one or the number two uh, matchup of the entire weekend. And it really just kind of is backing that off of the fact that really through large stretches of the season, either the Cardinals or the Rams were vying for the top spot in the NFC West. And even though that the Cardinals did kind of fall off towards the end of the season, after their really hot start. They are definitely a team to definitely keep an eye on going into this playoff run. Uh, The Rams, they did not finish the season the way they probably wanted to Uh, taking that loss in the last game of the season against the San Francisco 49ers probably hurts them pretty, pretty bad knowing that they had uh, a two seed on the line and giving that up in the last week of the year was probably not what they were hoping for. But you know, when you got Matt Stafford leading the way, it's a pretty good quarterback to go with going into the playoffs. And that's kind of the angle that we're going to take with this one going into this game. So Kevin, when we look at this matchup, we got Kyler Murray, excuse me. We have Kyler Murray going up against Matt Stafford. We've got a young gun in Kyler who's was almost, you know, an MVP um, throughout this year until he faced some injuries about halfway through the season. And Matt has done a pretty solid job in his first season uh, as the quarterback for the Los Angeles Rams. So with that being said, to pose the question to you, which quarterback do you have more faith in this upcoming matchup with the Cardinals going up against the Rams, Kyler Murray or Matt Stafford? So this
1: one's probably going to be the toughest toss-up for me specifically because technically – This is both of their first playoff appearances as well. Now, Matt played in a playoff game in Detroit. I wouldn't really consider that to be a, you know what I'm saying? I wouldn't really consider that to be much of anything just because of how bad Detroit actually lost that game. Matt Stafford hasn't been in a postseason game in a couple of years. And again, that one game was kind of atrocious. And this is Kyler's first. Both teams have had their fair share of ups and downs. Both teams have gone through their fair share of dominance in the NFL. Obviously, Arizona was 7 or 8-0 and 0 at one point. The Rams looked to be pretty much undefeated after they beat Tampa. Um, and then, of course, the uh, Cardinals ended up whooping that ass uh, a few weeks later, if not right after that. And then the, uh, the the Rams got their revenge a few weeks back when they beat the uh, the... Wow. The Rams got their revenge when they beat the Cardinals a few weeks back, but then... Matthew Stafford kind of had a month straight where he was just throwing pick after pick after pick. I believe he had two or three straight games with a pick six. I mean, as good as he was this year throwing, I believe, 41 touchdowns, he just could not stop turning the ball over for a good period of time. Um, And on the counterpoint to that, on the Arizona side, it did look like Kyler Murray was kind of getting in a stride after they had fallen to the Colts. And then he kind of continued that struggling. Uh, they dominated against the Cowboys. And then they, uh, you know, the way that that ended, uh, falling short to the, uh, I believe, the Seahawks last week. It just, both teams ended on a loss. Both teams ended on bad notes. This is really hard for me to pick, man. The only reason I am picking the Rams is because the playoff experience on this roster as a whole is 10 times more than this Cardinals team. You have Aaron Donald, you have Vaughn Miller, you freaking have Matthew Stafford, game or not, at least it's something, so he doesn't have those first jittery vibes. I mean, you Jalen Ramsey has been there with the Jags when they were decent. So you can really make an argument that this team as a whole is better equipped. I mean, and the coaching staff too, because they were just in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago against the New England Patriots. So Sean McVay is definitely not nervous in these big moments. Whereas Cliff Kingsbury, this is going to be his first playoff game. This is his starting quarterback's first playoff game. DeAndre Hopkins is not available for this game. Agent Green has played in total of what? Maybe three or four playoff games in which he's been embarrassed in each of them with Andy Dalton. So he would probably be the most tenured veteran on this team that has playoff experience outside of J.J. Watt. So it's like I'm leaning with the Rams in a close one. The Rams are home. Matthew Stafford, to me, is a better quarterback than Kyler Murray. However, J.J. Watt is returning. That's big in terms of making a defensive pass rush experience for Matt Stafford. I'm going to say this is going to be a close one, probably about three to seven points. I would say that this game is going to be who turns the ball over most, obviously. I know what you guys are thinking. Well, no shit, Kev. Obviously, the the team that has the least amount of turnovers is going to win the game. I'm saying the team that forces more turnovers – will end up winning this game and I think that that's going to be the Rams.
0: Yeah, when I mean when I look at this matchup to me like when it comes to the matchup of Kyler Murray and Matt Stafford, I'm going to pick Matt Stafford simply just because I think he just has more weapons at his disposal. I mean, when you look at the Rams as a whole, I mean, the Rams have a pretty solid unit offensively. Now, granted, they don't have Robert Woods in this game. I think if they had Robert Woods in this game, it would even be more one-sided as far as the weapons. The Rams would have the advantage over with the Cardinals here. But, you know, when you look at guys like Odell Beckham Jr., you see the season that Cooper Cup has had. Cooper Cup, I think, was the leading receiver in the NFL in, in really the the major statistical categories as far as like yards and catches go. I mean, the guy was a beast throughout the entire season. And then, you know, you you got some pretty solid wide receivers in Van Jefferson, and you also have Tyler Higby as well. They've both been able to kind of chip in here and there. And I think that they'll be able to do pretty solid damage against this Arizona defense. Um, Arizona's offense. I, I do like the fact that Kyler is extremely mobile. He could be able to extend plays with his feet. But not having DeAndre Hopkins in this in this game, I think it's going to be extremely detrimental to Arizona's chances. Um, I don't believe, um, if memory serves me correct, I don't think that James Connor is playing in this game. And I also believe that Chase Edmonds has been kind of been dealing with some injury issues as well. So his status may be up in the air as well. But there's I guess there's a better chance that he plays uh than James Conner. It's just that to me, I just think the injuries that have been hindering the Arizona Cardinals, I think it's going to catch up with them in this matchup. I think Kyler's going to do the best he can to keep Arizona competitive against Matt Stafford and the Rams. It's just I got to favor Matt in this game over Kyler. I think Kyler is one of the better up-and-coming quarterbacks that the NFL has to offer. But Matt does have a little bit more experience as far as just his overall career goes. And I think it's going to show up in this game. I think both quarterbacks will play pretty well, but I'm going to give the edge to Matt Stafford. And I think really the performance that Matt's going to provide for the Rams, I think it's going to be infectious for the rest of the team. I think the defense is going to be firing on all cylinders. I think they're going to be able to force Kyler Murray into some bad timely throws and possibly sack him a few times by getting constant pressure on him. And I do think that the Rams, they're able to really, get those types of efforts from the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball. I think the Rams win this one in convincing fashion. I'm going to say the Rams win this one by about seven to 10 points. I think the Rams are going to win this one by the score of, I'm going to say 27 to we'll say 27 to 17, just to kind of throw a score out there. But I do think the Rams with the effort that Matt's going to display on the field for them, I think it's going to be enough to get them to the divisional round of the playoffs.
1: Guys, I was actually incorrect. I just looked something up. Someone told me, something told me to just double check. Matt Stafford's actually been to the playoffs three times with the Detroit Lions in 2016, 14, and 11, all of them obviously being in losses. However, he has thrown only four touchdowns and he has had three interceptions and his completion percentage is pretty solid uh, combined uh, with the three games has been 63%, but I was correct in his last game. It was pretty abysmal. He only had 205 yards. He had no touchdowns, no interceptions, and uh, under a 60% completion percentage. So I I did recall correctly that his last performance was bad, but I did forget that he had two prior appearances before. So my apologies.
0: There was one guy that you, you did fail to mention with Arizona's playoff experience. It's one of their pass rushers. Chandler Jones. Guy's a Super Bowl champ, bro. Don't yes, sleep, no, don't sleep, don't sleep. The guy's has 106 career sacks, bro. It's pretty nice. Disgusting, disgusting. I mean, it's too bad we weren't able to keep him in New England, but I mean, that guy was going to make bread and there was no way we were going to be able to shell out that type of money to keep him. But you know, the guy has had a phenomenal career, whether it was with the Patriots or now with the Arizona Cardinals. But I mean, as far as the game goes between the Cardinals and the Rams, I think the Rams get that one. I, I, yeah, I, think, sure. I, I think it's going to be I'm not going to say it's a bloodbath but no um, I think it's going to be a, a pretty convincing win by the Rams that's just kind of how I see it
1: we both pick the same team but we both think it's going to be have a different outcome so definitely curious to see again another game that we are excited to zoom in on not that we're not going to watch the other games or or pay any less attention but you know when you have two primetime teams like this when you have two of the better teams. In the National Football League going up against each other and the division rivals. And this is the third game they faced each other. It's games like this, you gotta circle and you gotta be like, I am I am fucking tuning into this one for sure.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, it's definitely one of the better playoff matchups um in the weekend slate. I mean, the hell to some people, it could be the best one, um, depending on who you ask. But yeah, this is definitely a good one as far as I'm concerned. Really, I mean, a lot of these games from top to bottom are going to be extremely compelling to watch. Really the only one that I think is going to be a dud is probably that Steelers and Chiefs matchup. I think it's going to be the only one out of the slate where I think it's going to be entirely one-sided with the Chiefs dominating the Steelers. But outside of that, I think a lot of these games are are competitive. Maybe the Tampa uh, Eagles game is maybe a dud as well, but, I mean, who knows? Who knows? Philly may... Billy- Shock Michael. the world. Exactly. I wouldn't put it past them. I'd, just, I'd be shocked if Tampa lost uh, that game to Philly. But, you know, we'll, we'll find out this weekend. Um, hopefully you guys tune into the games uh, that the NFL is going to have. Uh, they're going to be fun to watch. I know we will definitely be watching all of them that we can. And uh, hopefully uh, hopefully the games just turn out to be good ones. That's really the only thing that I want at the end of the day. Yeah, no,
1: I'm just, successful playoff games are one thing, but good games are going to be, you know, hard and difficult to come by, because, you know, there are some games that unfortunately turn out to be blowouts, and it can be kind of boring, so uh, we hope that we have some competitive games this weekend, for sure.
0: Yeah. Now, with that said, we are going to, wow, we are going to transition. It's late, it's okay. Yeah, no, I'm I'm getting a little tired, but that's no excuse to have a little bit of mumble mouth, but... Um, we're going to transition into some NBA topics, uh, the first one being the uh, trade news uh, involving Cam Reddish being traded to the New York Knicks. He goes from the Atlanta Hawks to the Knicks, and we'll definitely add an interesting piece to the Knicks rotation moving forward. And Kevin, I'm just going to pose the question to you straight up. Now that Cam Reddish is a part of the New York Knicks, what do you think Cam Reddish's impact for New York will be for the rest of the season?
1: I think it's going to be a good one. I think that you get a consistent three-point shooter. You get a very good defender. You have someone that has already existing rapport with arguably your best player as of the last seven games or so in R.J. Barrett. They went to Duke together. So they have – I saw a tweet today. It's two of the three members of the band are back together. They're just waiting for the last one and the last one being Zion. So I I found that to be kind of comical. But genuinely, I think that Cam brings a dynamic to this team that they're missing right now. They traded Kevin Knox, they traded a couple picks, and they got somebody that is young, is long, and can defend the basketball efficiently and can hit some good shots. We saw him take off in the postseason against the Bucks, to where he actually hit a couple of really clutch shots. He went on his own individual run, I think eight or nine points or so. So we know that offensively he can't put the ball on the floor and he can stretch the floor with his consistent jump shot. So I think that he's going to give them something that they really need In both regards to offense and defense, I think that he's going to help them at least be a little bit more consistent at their three-point shot. Obviously, with their injuries and COVID and whatnot of missing D-Rose, Kemba Walker, and a couple of other role players, um, he's going to play a pivotal role coming off the bench. But we will see how it overall impacts the team as a unit when they get everybody back from uh, injury and protocol. But. Still, the Knicks are outside right now looking in in terms of postseason birth. So we will see if he makes that much of an impact, but I don't necessarily see him carrying the Knicks to, uh, you know, like a magical fourth seed run like they did last year. But I do see them, you know, making the playoffs a little bit more than they were before.
0: Well, I mean, when I look at the current roster that the Knicks currently field right now, I mean, the rotation's pretty set in stone. Um, you know, you you have major players like R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, uh, Kevin Walker when he's available, um, Evan Fournier. Really, that's kind of like the main core of guys uh, that the Knicks have fielded so far throughout most of the season. Now, when I look at Cam in this regard, to me, he's primarily going to come off the bench. And when you look at the rotation that the Knicks have been running, off the bench, you've seen guys like Obi Toppin, Emmanuel, quickly, even guys like Quentin Grimes get some burn off the bench. Just basing off of who they have available, and not on COVID protocols. Now, I do think that Cam could slide into a situation where he could play maybe ten to fifteen minutes, get some burn, um, in the second unit, and I think really the opportunity is there for the taking for him as far as being able to possibly fill out a pretty solid role for their bench moving forward for the rest of the season. I don't really foresee any sort of starter role for him, but I think if he can come off the bench, provide a quick spark, possibly getting a couple three-point shots to knock down, um, maybe some runners play some decent defense here and there, I, I think that he could definitely provide a service for the Knicks moving forward for the rest of the season. And hopefully he just stays healthy, avoids the COVID protocols. And really, you know, the opportunity for him is there to make the most of. Um, You know, playing in front of a New York crowd, there's a lot of pressure that goes along with that. Um, But I do think that Cam, if he just pays attention and makes the most of his opportunity uh, coming off the bench, I, I think he could definitely help New York try to get back into a better seed as far as their playoff positioning goes uh, moving forward towards the end of the season. But I do think that overall, I think it's I think it's a good move for the Knicks to sure up their bench a little bit. I think their starting rotations pretty much set in stone. I don't think that really needs to be updated or changed in any significant, significant manner. But by and large, I, I do like this move that the Knicks made for him. I think this is a good role player to pick up, and I think Cam will definitely uh, live up to that as long as he knocks down his shots, bro.
1: Yeah, no, I mean... I don't see him making an immediate direct impact, but you're getting a solid NBA, not vet, but a solid player, three years in the league, averages about 25 minutes a game in his career. He's shooting a career high, 38% from the three-point line this season. So, I mean, he is somebody that can be that little bit of a spark off the bench. He can be somebody that is inserted into the starting lineup. God forbid there is an injury or a rest day for somebody else. He's not a scrub He's not like a Solomon Hill who also was packaged in this deal to the Knicks. He's not somebody that's at the end of the bench that career average-wise is like five points a game and like plays 10 total minutes maybe in a week. This is somebody that can actually give them help on the defensive side where they struggle and then offensively when they go on those droughts. The Knicks necessarily don't have consistent shooters on the outside. Um, Outside of their rookie, I forget his name. Oh, my God, his name is like Gallo or something like that. I'm, I'm probably butchering it because, of course, I don't have the roster in front of me. But there are players on this team that need a little bit more of an offensive attention. RJ Barrett's not the most consistent shooter in the world. Obviously, we know that Julius Randle is up and down in terms of his efficiency and percentage. Evan Fournier is a little bit of an inconsistent, streaky shooter as well. So, you go and you add somebody that can become a three point specialist for you and hit those shots when you need it. I think that he's going to make a good impact on this team to help them get a couple of games.
0: Yeah, I I think as long as he just utilizes the opportunity to the best of his abilities, you know, I, I think the guy could potentially maybe, you know, average 10 points off the bench. I mean, it's like you said this year he's averaging about 12 points per game on about 40% shooting, correct? Yes. I mean, if he's able to maintain those numbers for the rest of the year's for the rest of the year with the Knicks. I don't think the Knicks would be necessarily mad about that type of production from him.
1: Quentin Grimes. I said Gallo. I knew it had a G. Quentin oh, Grimes. I, Ladies and gentlemen, I, I, I'm so sorry.
0: I even mentioned him in, in the analysis part. He he got yeah, like 19 20 up. minutes the other night against Dallas. He's so, playing really um, good. Yeah, I mean But it's, you know, really the main thing is just consistency. You know, if Cam can be able to just mesh with the guys well and form, you know, just a base level of chemistry with um, the second rotation, I think it could bode well for him. So it's really just dependent on how quick he can mesh with the teammates that he has in New York right now and hopefully just make the most of it. I mean, at the end of the day, bro, you just got to go out and ball out as best as you can.
1: Oh yeah. Going to be interesting to see how the rest of the season plays out for the Knicks. But this next segment, unfortunately is going to be the opposite effect. What we got Kyle.
0: Yeah. So this is going to be the last segment that we have for you guys. Um, we're going to focus on some injury issues that are plaguing some of, some of the best NBA superstars that we currently have in the NBA. Um, when we look at Damian Lillard and Paul George, they are both facing some significant injuries. Uh, Damian Lillard is facing a abdominal surgery that could potentially side him for the, sideline him for the rest of the season. And then we look at Paul George. Uh, Paul George has been dealing with an elbow issue of late. And potentially he could be going through surgery on that elbow that could potentially sideline him for the rest of the year as well. Uh, both the Portland Trailblazers and the Los Angeles Clippers, they have been kind of struggling um, in their both in both respective uh, paths for this year. And it it would look to be that not having Damian Lillard on the Portland Trailblazers and Paul George on the Clippers would be a detrimental effect for both teams moving forward. But Kevin, I'm going to pose the question to you. With Damian Lillard and Paul George potentially being out for the rest of the season with their respective injuries, do you think both the Clippers and the Trailblazers playoff chances are essentially over with those injuries?
1: I'm going to say 100%, especially for Portland, Portland sitting at the 10 seed, six and 24, four of six in their last six, excuse me, four of six in their last 10 games. They're two and 13 on the road. Even with Damian Lillard on the team, they weren't necessarily the greatest. So without their main superstar and injuries consistently plaguing their second guy in, in CJ McCollum, obviously he had the collapsed lung in December, but he's always due for another injury, not wishing anything upon him. It just, it's unfortunate that it happens, but in, in, uh, in Portland, I would say that their playoff chances are probably gone. It's unfortunate. Cause I think that Chauncey Billups is a great coach. I think he's a great individual. Unfortunately, it seems that there were reports earlier this year that he had lost the locker room or that people weren't happy with his methods. So, I mean, if the season actually does fall to shit, Chauncey Bills, I believe, signed a four or five year deal to be the head coach. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets the boot just because of how bad they're performing. Um, now, in the Clippers department, I don't necessarily know just because it is L.A. It is a big market. Um, I don't see them necessarily tanking on purpose because they traded most of their picks to acquire Paul. So I can't see them rolling over knowing they're going to get nothing for it. They did make a couple of players available for trade outside of, of course, Terrence Mann, who they said specifically they will keep out of trade talks. But supposedly Luke Kennard, Zubac, and a couple of other players that I think Kyle and I don't even know the hell they are, are, are available for trade and are, are, are available to be kind of talked about to see if they can acquire some more pieces to at least make a competitive run for the postseason. Uh, I would probably say their chances are going to dwindle out towards the end of the year because they're not going to have enough depth and veteran presence to really go out there and make a staple. Or a statement, should I say, in the Western Conference, obviously you have the Lakers, the Nuggets, the Mavs, Jazz, Grizzlies, Warriors, and Suns above them at the the one through seven seeds. Behind the Clippers, you have the Timberwolves, who are literally right behind them by at least I I think I I would say about it by a game. Uh at twenty and twenty-two, the Clippers are twenty-one and twenty-two. Um Yeah, man, I I don't necessarily have a lot of faith in them to make the playoffs. The only way I see them making the playoffs is if the 9 through 12 seed just completely shit the bed and just completely kind of like just fall out of the playoff hopes uh, out of their own stupidity or failure to succeed. So to answer your question, I think both teams' playoff chances are out of here.
0: Really kind of hard to combat that, but I mean, with the way that I see it, I don't really see a viable... Route for either team to make the playoffs, so you know. Let's take the uh the Portland Trailblazers for a second. With Damian Lillard dealing with this abdominal issue, that's possibly going to sideline him for the rest of the year. I don't see a lot of hope for this team to begin with. I mean, it's been kind of well stated that Portland's been kind of going through it this year, even despite the fact that you know, they got Chauncey Bill they got Chauncey Billups. As their head coach, to try to remedy the situation from them not making significant strides in their playoff opportunities. And now you have the situation where Damian Lillard, who's by far and away their best player, is going to be out for potentially the rest of the year. I just don't see any sort of way that Portland's going to be able to make a 180, get to a 500 or an above 500 record and be a formidable force in the Western Conference when it comes to the playoffs. I don't really see that. I mean, if Dame were to stay around, I think that team would tread water at best. I mean, even when he was there, Portland was struggling mightily. Now that he's not going to be there for pot- for potentially the rest of the year, I don't think it's going to happen with them. And then when it comes to the Clippers, in regards to Paul George, kind of a similar situation. I mean, the Clippers are a little bit more competitive uh, than the Trailblazers are. But, you know, Paul George not going to be in the lineup for the next couple of months as he recovers from that elbow issue. Is it really a situation that Kawhi should even go back to? Because, I mean, as far as this year, I'm not saying, like, he gets traded this offseason. I'm just saying, for this season, it would seem like Kawhi really wouldn't have a lot to gain if he were to come back and not have Paul George as his running mate there to be able to get a solid playoff run from that. Now, I mean, if Paul George wasn't hurt, I would definitely say that Kawhi should make a return and definitely try to get a playoff run with uh, with PG alongside him. But with PG going to be out for the next couple months, possibly the rest of the year with this elbow issue, I don't really see a way that the Clippers are going to be able to maintain the position that they're at right now which is that the the bottom end of the current playoff seating, with Paul George out for the rest of the year potentially. I mean, if if I'm Kawhi, with Paul George out for possibly the rest of the year, I just scrap this year, um, come back next year, hundred percent ready to go alongside Paul George. You know, maybe try to bring in some veterans uh, to bolster the roster alongside them. But to me, it looks like a lost cause for not only the Clippers, but it looks like a lost cause for the Trailblazers as well. And I mean, as far as their playoff chances go, I would say that the Clippers have a better chance to make the playoffs than the Trailblazers do. But there's a very good chance that both teams miss it just because when you don't have your best players ready to go because of injury really makes that tough to be able to get into the playoffs and i think there's a very good chance that both teams could miss the playoffs but if i had to say one team could get in over the other the clippers could definitely get in over the trailblazers that's how i see it
1: it it is just a sad thing injuries just happen especially when you see it happen to superstars not to belittle anybody else in the nba or in sports but when you see the the main focal points of these teams kind of fall apart, obviously, like you had mentioned, Kawhi's already out. Now Paul's out. So it's kind of like you look at it like, well, you know, do we just do we fucking scrap it? Like, do we risk bringing our, our megastar back? Do we risk trading anything else that we don't have? I mean, you want to trade the washing machine cause of how much they traded to acquire Paul George. So... I don't know what's going to happen in L.A. Obviously, Portland is its own entity and its own unfortunate situation because Dame has reportedly not been happy. Of course, the
0: rumors all offseason of him getting traded. You know, the way that I see it, um, you know, when when it comes to the the Trailblazers, um, it just doesn't seem like this team is going anywhere significant um, moving forward. I, I, I just don't see it. You know, I I know that they have a lot invested um, in Damian Lillard, and I know that Damian Lillard has a lot invested into Portland. But I just I don't think it's going to lead to a title in any way, shape, or form. Um, I I just don't see it. Not with the roster that they've currently assembled, it's just not going to happen. Now, with the Clippers, the Clippers definitely have a more viable team. I don't I, I think that kind of goes without saying, but. Injuries can derail an entire season. And, you know, Kawhi is coming off of an ACL tear from last year. Granted, you know, whether it was a a minor tear or a full tear, the recovery process from an ACL tear is still a long time. And I mean, even if we were to see him this season, it probably wouldn't be until February, March. And I mean, if they were able to make the playoffs in April. You know, Is it really worth coming back to if the team's really struggling as a whole? I, I don't really see that. Um, I think really the biggest question that's going to face the Clippers is going to be this offseason. What is this team going to look like after this, this offseason that's coming up? Uh, is it going to be the same roster? Is Kawhi and Paul George going to be the main tandem moving forward, or are they just going to blow the entire thing up and start anew with new faces. I, I I would say I'd be kind of hard pressed to, uh, to deviate away from Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. I think they, they're clearly the best options that you have at this current moment in time. I don't really see a, a possible trade scenario that would make this team better if you were to get rid of these guys or get rid of one of them. So I think really the biggest issues, um, that are going to face the Clippers. It's not going to be this season. It's going to probably be facing them in the off season, as far as really, you know, where the identity of the team is going to be going into next year. That's kind of how I see it. But I mean, overall, I I think both teams are going to struggle for the rest of the year. And it wouldn't surprise me if both teams miss the playoffs, just because you don't have Damon and you don't have Paul Georgian. Your team is significantly weaker without them on the roster and it, make, it it makes it a tall task to be able to make it to the playoffs with the rosters that they have assembled. Indeed it does. Um, guys, that about wraps it up for us. Um, we are
1: trying a new method in terms of trying to come a little bit, not necessarily more prepared. We always have the research in front of us. We always have what we want to talk about kind of laid out. We're trying to be a little bit more tactical in our approaches and our angles and how it is we want to make these segments and how we want to record them. Um, we got great feedback from a, from a streamer that I watch. His name is Darth Tedward. He's on Twitch. Uh, he's on TikTok. Whatever it is, however you want to follow him. Uh, he gave me some one-on-one advice in one of his streams where he took a, a look at Kyle and I's page and kind of gave us some feedback on how we can improve. And he really sat there and kind of explained what it is we need to work on. And, and you know, I, uh, coming from myself. And, you know, being a hard worker, and I know Kyle appreciates any feedback that we can get, especially someone who's been in this space a little bit longer than us. Um, We're we're open and and willing to take any advice we can get. So we have made this announcement multiple times with improvements and whatnot coming between audio, light, and all these different things. But we've never really mentioned processes improving. So Kyle and I are going to do our very best to get these kind of like off the ground and do our very best to make all of these changes Within the next couple of weeks, and God willing, we'll see an uptick in numbers, and if not, you know we just appreciate any and all support we've gotten from every single platform we have had. So thank you, thank you guys for everything.
0: Oh yeah. I, Kev, I think um, I think the last time that we did, um, did our coverage on the NFL Wildcard round, I believe that that episode was two and a half hours long. If I, if memory serves me correct, I'd had to kind of go back like to the it. archives and, and figure it out. But I mean, the fact that we were able to get through the entire NFL wildcard slate and the NBA topics that we had in under an hour and a half, I think is, you know, it's kind of crazy Pretty big. that we were able to be a little bit more efficient, you know, in this go around that we were last year. I think that definitely shows uh significant like improvement as far as just making the episode uh, more efficient as far as when it comes to this NFL wild card round. So that kind of give ourselves a little pat in the back on that. So,
1: Yeah. But, um, even if you guys aren't available to see it or noticed, you know, for whatever reason, not an insult, you know, might be just some new people, but overall, I mean, like Kyle said, from last year to this year strides, and we're just going to continue to make those strides every week.
0: Yeah. I mean, really, there's not much more I can add. Um just appreciate you guys tuning in whether you guys were listening to us on the audio platforms like Spotify or Apple podcast, or if you are watching us on YouTube, uh, we definitely appreciate the support. If you were watching us on YouTube, don't be afraid to give us a like, give us a subscribe, any sort of support that we can give for the channel. You know, Kevin and I definitely appreciate that wherever we can get it. And uh, we'll just keep churning out content for you guys. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. Kevin, is there anything else uh, you want to say before we wrap this up?
1: Uh, no, sir. Just, uh, looking forward to the playoff weekend. I hope everybody has a good extended weekend, Martin Luther King day. Thank goodness on Monday. So for those of you that have a three day weekend, enjoy it, be safe. And, uh, we'll see you guys again, come Sunday night.
0: Yes, sir. With that said, you know, take it easy you guys. And we'll see you guys later.
1: So, no more movie quotes.
0: Roger, Roger. Electric acid. Electric acid. Electric
1: acid. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonise your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound.